Welcome again to Profiles on Nantucket Community Television, Channel 8. I'm Charlie Walters. My guest today is Rob Benchley, who is a man of varied talents, mainly involving photography, but not simply photography. And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This is going to be quite an experience. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? Where were you born, et cetera, et cetera? Well, I was born in uh, New York City, which... Uh, Always surprised me when I realized it because I didn't really, really like New York City very much. But uh, I didn't know it till just now. And I, yeah. <laughs> and um, we, uh, my parents and my sister and I lived <clears throat> in New Canaan, Connecticut for many years. And um, my parents had always come to Nantucket uh, with their own families back in the 30s. And actually, my parents met in Sconset at the Sconset Casino huh. when they were in their early teens. My mother always tells a story that they met at a movie at the casino and my father was sitting behind her and he put gum in her hair. <laughs> and, and, that, and that should have been a, a, a signal to the rest of their relationship. <laughs> but anyway, yes. So, um, so I started coming here with uh, my sister at, a, at an early age. You know, I didn't even know it at the time. So. And did you live in New Canaan until you moved here? Um, I, I moved around. Um, uh, my, my mother passed away in 1976, and my sister and I sold the house. And we were both living in the Midwest in different parts. And I had moved uh, back to the East, uh, working in Boston at the Boston University Theater School of Arts. I was an instructor there. And uh, so I was much closer to Nantucket, and I got, came down here as much as I could to revisit the old stomping grounds and sort of live a vicarious life of being on Nantucket while I lived in Boston. And then I found myself without a job in Boston. And I uh, <clears throat> applied for a job at the Inquirer Mirror because I was trying to do some more writing and um, a lot more photography. And I thought that would be a great place to uh, learn some more and maybe get paid doing it. That, so, was, that was 1983. So you, you moved here and started a job there in 83. In 83, yeah. Um, and were you doing writing and photography? <clears throat> I was there, yeah. When you take one of that, those sort of entry-level jobs there, you kind of do it all. And it was uh, <clears throat> still a, a very much a family-run. Tom and Marie Giffen were running it then. And, um, you know, you reported, did court report, and you did the uh, Board of Selectmen, and you did all those things. Board of Appeals, those are fun. And you always carried a camera. So the reporters did sort of did it all. And it was a terrific place to cut your teeth. Now, you had done photography prior to that, I assume. I had, yes. I worked in uh, uh, southern Indiana in a town named New Harmony. And it was uh, much like Nantucket. It had a very uh, well-established history to it, sort of a, a pioneer history, actually. And the town um, itself was going under a restoration. They were trying to sort of reclaim some of the old history. And I was a photographer for that project and ended up working for the local weekly newspaper there as well because my job at the historic company dried up as well. So I seem to be pretty good at lost causes. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, uh, the name of the town was? New Harmony. Which I looked up on the map. I wasn't familiar with it, but I believe it's on the Ohio River. Uh, it's actually on the Wabash River. It's the pretty Wabash close River. to the okay. Ohio River. It's, it's upstream from the Ohio River. Um, uh, Evansville, Indiana is on the Ohio River. 
Wabash as a tributary. And it was big, wide, muddy, scary, deep running river full of giant catfish. Huh. <laughs> well, you told me a few years ago that you had lived there. Mm -hmm. but I didn't know until about a month ago that you met someone else there who also lives more or less on Nantucket at this point, and that is Joe Hale. Oh, Joe Hale, right, yes. Who is an Indianan, uh, yeah. not from New Harmony, but uh, he, he grew up in Indiana. He did indeed, yeah. Yeah, he was working there at the same time I was, and uh, <clears throat> he was the kind of director of the, uh, the arts program there. Um, Historic New Harmony had an amazing theater and arts, uh, visual arts presence in the town. And um, we did a lot of theater there, and a lot of, uh, we had a jazz festival, we had a country music festival, we had a yeah. folk festival. Very, not very well attended, because it's a little town of 120 people. 120 people, really? Yeah. What's well, amazing, they had or so Or maybe it was 1,020. It wasn't much. Not very many people, in, no, <laughs> in right. either case. Well, it's remarkable that they did so much in a town that small. Yes, and it was a, uh, <clears throat> actually it was run by a guy named Ralph Schwarz who had a, an endowment from the, uh, uh, had funding from the Lilly Endowment in Indianapolis. <clears throat> and he was a visionary and um, did some amazing things in his lifetime to further sort of the, the thinking about how we treat our historic places and how we keep them running and how we value them. It was a great experience. Let's pick up in the 80s again. Uh, why, I think of you as a photographer more than anything else, which may be wrong, so please correct me if it is, but why photography is as opposed to writing or teaching in your case? What draws you to that more than anything else? Well, I, I, I started with photography because, you know, people like to express themselves and I, I wasn't, I didn't know how to express myself but you know, those things are inside of you and they have to come out somehow. And it took me a long time to realize that the photography was a way I could safely express myself without having to make a commitment or ruffle anybody's feathers or anything that might lead to discourse of any kind. Apparently I was terrified of all those things and I was kind of scared of people too. So photography was a way I could at least talk to myself and then it became evident that there was a way to have other people look at it and I could interact with them that way through them looking at my pictures. And um, that also sort of fit in with the, the, the newspaper work. And then somebody said, well, would you, why don't you write about this and cover this and that? And I could still, that was pretty safe. And um, I survived on that for a long time. And it kind of led to, by the sharing part of it and also working backstage at the theater, that kind of led it into an educational type thing. I was a very visual thinker. And um, so communicating those ideas. And before I knew it, I was having to talk to real life people and figured out that that wasn't so bad. So the photography helped me through all that, but it also was terribly instructive and um, so knowing that it's very freeing feeling and uh, very valuable. It, um, based on what you're saying, it seems to me that 
maybe there wasn't a particular photographer that inspired you to go more deeply into photography? It was photography itself rather than, you know, pick a name, Ansel Adams, whoever. Yeah. Is, is that... Is that accurate? I think that's true. It was a, it was a very personal sort of a, a soul, S-O-L-E, kind of a thing for me. And then, um, you know, as I matured somewhat and looked outwards, there were a lot of people that inspired me. And uh, and uh, actually, one of the there's a, I have a, a memorable photograph in my head that was taken um, right here in Nantucket, and it appeared in the National Geographic magazine and. 1976, I think, and uh, Stanifeld was the photographer with a story about Nantucket, and it was a beautiful uh, full-page photo of um, some uh, kids playing in a field behind the old mill, and the story was about, it was called Life's Tempo on Nantucket, and I remember reading that, looking at it, and um, uh, I was so impressed by his photography that that really opened a lot of doors for me. And the writer of the article was? The, well, and the writer of the article was uh, my first cousin, Peter Benchley. <laughs> uh, people would have recognized that surname from the beginning of this show, obviously. Right. Uh, there was Peter, Nathaniel, yep. um, Robert Benchley back in the 20s and yep. 30s. Uh, there's another Nat Benchley who was an actor. I used yes. to watch him on The Wire. There's there would seem to be a creativity gene throughout your family over the generations, and it's it's <laughs> manifested itself in different ways. Um, well, as my father, as my father, one of the three Roberts would say, um, the uh, the woods are full of us, and uh, um, and it didn't wasn't didn't just touch the men either. My sister is incredibly. Uh, articulate uh, academic archaeologist, and she's done all kinds of terrific things for the field of archaeology. But um, yeah, and and it's it seems like nobody set out to do that. I mean, it wasn't an intentional thing. I think we just, well, for my case, I kind of just fell into it uh, because it was helpful and comfortable. Um, my cousin Nathaniel, who did actually did a one-man show, and he actually did it here on Nantucket as well, uh, called uh, Benchley Despite Himself, which were some of the wonderful uh, anecdotes from our grandfather, Robert Sr. And uh, that was a terrific hit. And um, he also had a starring role in The Wire. And um, Peter, of course, did Jaws. And many other things. One of my favorite books he did was called The Girl from the Sea of Cortez, mm -hmm. which is a lovely story. And um, I think that was one of his favorites as well. They didn't make a movie out of it, but uh, I think Jaws sort of taught him a never lesson. Never too late. <laughs> and it's never too late, right? <laughs> well, when thinking about it, I, I can't think of any Benchleys that I've met or whom I know of who weren't creative one way or another. Mm -hmm. And to take it a step further, I don't recall hearing your name, hearing that name eventually, outside of your family. Is this an unusual surname? Um, there, there are a few other Benchley families out across the country. We're always in search of them to make sure they're not imposters. Uh, are, are they distant relations, or you never got I, that far? I think they are. Yes. Yep. Uh -huh. Yes. There's actually a there's a um, oh. A, 
Robert Benchley in the Worcester area, who's a distant relative. Mm -hmm. And there's some uh, in the Midwest. And uh, there's actually a town in Texas called Benchley, Texas. Really? Which was actually named after my great-great-grandfather. Really? Who settled out there. Uh, he was the lieutenant governor of Massachusetts for some time. And I think he kind of went a little cuckoo and decided to leave the Commonwealth and ended up in Texas. Well, politics will do that to you, Politics will do it, right. <laughs> Where is Benchley, Texas? Um, it's uh, north of uh, College Station, okay, Bryan, so. and um, in East Texas, Eastern Texas. And uh, I went there once on a fishing trip, and uh, I had a photograph that I <clears throat> had been taken as a PR stunt, a Hollywood PR stunt when my grandfather was still working in Hollywood. And in it was the railroad station at Benchley, Texas. And the photograph depicted all these Hollywood people lined up with the, um, with the, well, the Hollywood people and the people of the town, the townspeople. It was a PR shot and nothing ever came of it, but the photograph survived. So on a, on a whim, I made a copy of the photograph and took it with me on this fishing trip, uh, stopped by Benchley, had to, it's a, a whistle stop. And um, there was a saddle shop and a bakery and a newspaper, oh, an old newspaper actually, and a broken down gas station. And I found four, four or five of the people in the photograph that was taken huh. in the 40s. And this wow. was back in the 80s. So that was a lot of fun. I'll bet it was. And one of the guys said to me, what are you really doing here, boy? <laughs> <laughs> now, did you convince him you were legit? Yes, I did. <laughs> so. Uh, let's go back to the 1980s on Nantucket. Uh, how long were you with the Enquirer and Mirror? I was there from uh, 1983 till through 1986, I'm pretty sure. And I was getting this... Uh, signals from my own brain that I was going to be staying on Nantucket. And um, I fortunately had a piece of property. My sister and I have a piece of property in Sconset. And friends of mine said, so you know how to build stuff. You worked in the theater all those years. You can build your own house. And I thought, oh, okay, fine. So I started, designed a house uh, with help from a lot of people. Fine Woodworking Magazine helped me build the house. Uh, back issues, of course. And some friends helped, and I, so I started building this house, and then um, it took me four years to finally move in. I think I got the building permit in 84, 85, and I moved in in 88. It was not finished. Still haven't got paint or raceboards in the closets. Well, that was a while ago. But you have your own house on Nantucket and Scotland. My own house in Nantucket. Which you built yourself. Yes. I mean, not, not single-handed, but... Mostly single-handedly. Mostly single-handedly. Uh, I hired a, a good friend of mine, Andy Costakis, to build the foundation. And um, he hired me to be his mason's tender. So You were working for yourself. I was working for myself, <laughs> and I was in very good shape carrying those cinder blocks. <laughs> wow. So post-INM, what else have you done? Over the last, what, 35 years? God, it's been a lot, quite a while, hasn't it? Well, um, <clears throat> once I uh, once I didn't finish my house and still moved in, um, there was a, another startup newspaper, the Nantucket Beacon, which people might remember. That was in 1989. And um, I worked there as a photographer 
uh, and a writer. For the nine years it was in publication, it finally went out of business. Um, and then after that, a few years after that, there was another startup publication, the Nantucket Independent. And um, I did the same thing for them. And it was, it was so much fun doing those, sort of being in competition with the Inquirer Mirror. But that kind of competition keeps you sharp. And it also gives you a sense of when to speak or not when to speak. And, um, but mostly just keeping, it, keeping an edge. And that was really, really good for me. The problem was they had lousy business plans and the economy uh, couldn't support two newspapers. And, um, and the Inquirer Mirror just outlasted them, which, you know, good for them. But it was a terrific run. And I also did work for the, the original Nantucket Magazine. Mm -hmm. I think Butsy Lovelace started that. Yes, he was involved there. Yeah. So and so that was throughout, and that was those those are some good productive years. Now, were you doing freelance work at the same time? Yes, uh, quite a bit actually. The, um, uh, this was before there was digital photography, and uh, a lot of the real estate offices needed photographs of their properties. Um, and it was a hot market, and that dried up pretty quickly when one-hour photo places started coming in because mm -hmm. the real estate places would take their own pictures. Huh. That was fine. Um, and then digital happened, and then that changed everything. I also did a fair amount of uh, weddings. I advertised as a as a portrait photographer, but I got a lot of <clears throat> weddings, and. Um, those are very stressful, and I stopped doing them because I kept having uh, bad luck. And um, one of the times, actually, that was the second wedding I shot for some very influential, very nice, uh, well-known family uh, up on the cliff. And I took my eight rolls of film to the camera shop, and those eight rolls of film disappeared. Never saw them again. So how many pictures on a roll? Thirty-six. Oh boy! So you're and talking about about three hundred. Easily, yeah. So someone's whole wedding. Whole wedding gone went up in smoke. Yes, yeah. And I apologize to those people till the day they died, and <laughs> they're both gone. But that, I should have stopped there. That is a nightmare. That was a nightmare. <clears throat> but uh, so things like that happen all the time. But uh, you know, wedding photographers, man, they they work really hard. And I so appreciate all the effort they put in, and I can see why they get the price they do because it is big time work, and it's the whole thing. It's the album, it's the rehearsal dinner, it's the the whole thing. Not to mention the stressed families. Mm -hmm. And I think the stressed families is what really shied me away, because <laughs> I said earlier I kind of try to stay away from contention and. If you, I don't blame you a bit. <laughs> well, now what about uh, videography? Have you gotten into that at any point? I did a little bit of videography uh, when we were when I worked at the Beacon. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, and it, it was pretty uh, B quality uh, production. But the Beacon had a television news program, and it was all pre-recorded, 
and I happened to be um, <clears throat> in Codfish Park uh, during the storm of 1992. I do remember this. And yeah. um, so I uh, and got the video of uh, Betsy Smith's house floating away. Mm -hmm. And and what you when you watch the video, I mean, I remembered this in my head. I didn't say it on the video, but that's the house where my wife and I met. Really, and I happen to be the one no videotaping floating away, and, th and that's really what happened. It didn't fall apart or get bashed. It was, just, it was suddenly, instead of resting on sand, it was floating in the water. It was floating in, in the one water. piece, and we and a bunch of us were standing right there, and a couple of waves came up, and it was tipping, and then this one giant wave came in with the surge, and it it was like the Wizard of Oz. It just lifted up on the. Mm -hmm. on the back of this backwash and out it went and then down and tumbled over and oh mesmerizing yeah it, it uh well, as you say it it was in one piece when it first hit the water yeah but it didn't last very long no it didn't it, it, it didn't it, last for two minutes yeah it's about how long that clip is is that on youtube by any chance it's it you know it was on youtube for a short time and um <clears throat> one of our producers uh at the uh, newspaper there, s spotted it a few years ago and asked them to take it down because it was copyrighted material, mm -hmm. and they agreed to do that. But well, they, so you hadn't put it on, somebody else No, had. somebody else had put it on, uh -huh. yeah. Um, but I think it's available on the historic, uh, Nantucket Historic Association website. We just did a, uh, a history thing on uh, Codfish Park a couple mm -hmm. of years ago, so it's on one of those. Scots at History Night tapes. Now, in a case like this, where you were you were working when you took that video, mm -hmm. does that belong to your former employers, or does it belong to you? It's a terrific question, and um, uh, you know the organization that created that is no longer. <clears throat> I think it's a great question, like the photographs I took for the Enquirer Mirror. Or any of the mm. any of those publications are they mine or are they theirs? And um, there's never has never been anything signed, but the understanding is that they're they're mine. And and if it's and if there's a a place where it's appropriate to mention those publications, by all means, I certainly do it because that's important anyway to put it in a historical mm -hmm. section and for you to get credit. It's important too. Right. Oh yes. Yeah. Um, what about books? Yeah. What about books? Um, that's been another aspect that caught me by surprise. Uh, but always, when you're, you know, you love to have some of your photographs in a book, and it started with uh, Peter Brace's uh, "Walking Nantucket," which is a, geez, that's been out for more than thir almost thirty years now. Is it that old, really? Yeah, I think so. And um, first published here on the island, and uh, it's still in print. And there, you know, pictures of trails and things. And so the whole the production aspect again, it's like working a, news, a weekly newspaper, kind of all used to that. And then, and a couple of other things came up. The Sconset Trust did a, a thing called Voices of the Village, and. Uh, I submitted many, many portraits of that, of the people who were being interviewed by uh, Nancy Newhouse. And then, God, this is 
more than 20 years ago, I got a call from Jim Patrick, who you may remember was a sure. tennis pro here and also yep. started the Short Play Festival. Yes, a playwright himself. And a playwright himself, yes, of course. And uh, <clears throat> he was thinking about doing, sort of looking into doing an article about the commercial scallop uh, industry here. And he, as, he, as he tells it, he went through the back issues of the Enquirer mirror and he kept seeing my name under photographs of people scalloping. And uh, <clears throat> so he gave me a call and we talked about it over a cheeseburger and a beer and we went to work the very next day and that was in mm -hmm. 1998, I think, 99. And that came out of that was scallop season. Um, uh, which is 21 or 22 years old now. I, I'm terrible at math, but, and it's still on the bookshelves and we self-published it. And that was a very exciting thing. Uh, we both learned a great deal, especially the business about what computer platform you, like we, we wrote the whole thing on, on a PC and we took it to the printer and the printer said, you've got to put it on a Mac. So we had to rewrite, physically retype everything on a Mac. <laughs> Today you'd push a button and it would switch it. But uh, anyway, but that was a great success. Um, the book paid for itself uh, in about a year and a half. We paid our investors back. Oh. Our investors being my wife. And, um, <clears throat> and it's still, still on the shelves and we're hoping to, we still have a lot of copies left and uh, it's still very topical. And an awful lot of what was written then is either coming true or is still demonstrated every season, every season. About the, the setbacks to the industry and the, and the weather and the state of the harbor and the markets and everything. It was a wonderful project to work on. And actually we, we were gonna spend one year uh, doing the research and the photography and we discovered that the, that the fingers of effects of the commercial scallop thing goes farther and farther back into history, but also into all the networking and social networking on Nantucket of the real kind, mm. not the digital kind. So it took us two years. We, we did a second season just to try to get it right. In the same book? Or in is the it, same book, In yeah. the same book. So it says a pivotal year on the introduction in uh, Nantucket's uh, scallop fleet, but it was actually over two years. Any other books? Yeah, well, um, I was had been a sort of a contributor photograph leader of the Sconset Trust. And uh, back in 2007, uh, this little project called Moving Sankety Head Lighthouse came up and um, uh, they asked me to take some photographs while they were doing it. And that in itself turned into its own project one of the best assignments I ever had because the, the, uh, the company that was moving the lighthouse, it was a combination of um, International Chimney Corporation and expert house movers. And they said to me, you can take all the photographs you want and you can go anywhere you want, but you just two rules, stay out of our way and wear your hard hat. And as a, as a, a, a newspaper journalist, Getting that kind of a free license is heaven. So, and so that was another natural 
for a publication. So the Scotts at Trust, uh, myself and Bob Felch, we put together a book for the move of Sankety Lighthouse. And that was a quite a, a community turnout, that whole project. It was, you know, un unforgettable. And if you forget about it, you could always go look at the book because everything's there, <laughs> every inch of that thing moving. <laughs> well, this is a perfect lead into the, to the rest of the show. You are the unofficial, the informal lighthouse keeper of the Sankey Head Lighthouse. I am indeed. The uh, uh, Back in 2007, when the move was happening, the, the Coast Guard donated the lighthouse and, and the land to the Scots at Trust. They were the clearly the most obvious uh, receivers uh, in line for that. And the Coast Guard still maintains the light itself because it's still an aid in navigation. Even though they don't own it, they still maintain they, it. They still maintain it. It's still on the charts. It still flashes every seven and a half seconds, mm -hmm. day in and day out. And um, so the trust needed a, a, a custodian, let's put it that way. And um, since I lived here and I live right down the street and I'm here year round, uh, I got the keys and as a, the, the, the 10 year old in me resurfaced and now I have these wonderful keys to a wonderful lighthouse. I'm assuming you're the only one with keys, or maybe not. There's a couple more keys, but I'm not telling you where they are. Okay, I wasn't gonna ask anyway. Okay. Well, the Coast Guard has them. <laughs> <laughs> well, as they should. As know. they should, yeah. yeah. Uh, now, you were talking about it being moved back for obvious reasons. The coastline is eroding, as it has yeah. for thousands of years. Right. Um, how much erosion has there been <laughs> since it was moved? Um, it's. It's eroded some since it's been moved. Uh, you know, the mo Mother Nature has been kind to Sankety Head in the last 15 or so years. Um, the angle of the, of the wave has been kind, the wind direction, the length of the storms, maybe five feet. Oh, that's not bad. Which isn't bad, but further north, 10 or 15 feet further south, south of the geotube installation, that's mm -hmm. pretty stable there. But further south, it's been a lot of erosion. So right at Sackety, it's been, been pretty good. Not many people know this, in spite of the fact that it was written about in the, in the paper this summer. <coughs> and some people don't agree with this. But um, just a few feet away from the lighthouse is the highest point on Nantucket. Yes, I would quite agree it is the highest point <laughs> on Nantucket. <laughs> Which is one reason why it is where it is. Exactly. Um, but that's, it's subject, as we were saying, it's subject to some erosion, yes. but it could be a lot worse. It could be so much worse right now. And, um, and of course, the, and the highest spot actually that you were just mentioning is actually right on the edge. Yep. And so wh whatever storm, whenever it comes, it'll be lower because that, yeah. that part that's 103 or however, whatever the number is, mm -hmm. 105 feet above sea level. There was 111, but that was 40 or 50 years ago. Yes, and and there was, has been erosion. And that has been eroded. Uh, and it, it's easy to spot. If, if you're on the Sconso Trust's land around the lighthouse, it's very easy to see what the highest point is in that immediate yes. area. Yeah, right along that fence line. But now on the other side of the lighthouse from the beach, the land falls away mm -hmm. pretty abruptly to Sankety Head Golf Course. Yes. So the next time it gets moved, which hopefully won't be for a long time, 
there's not a whole lot of room there. There, there isn't. And actually, uh, when the lighthouse was moved, um, uh, it was moved to a, a section of land that's owned by Sankety Gall. They got an easement for that little section right along the uh, fifth fairway mm -hmm. at, at Sankety Gall. And so um, there's a good 200 feet or more from the edge of the cliff now to the lighthouse. Oh, it's that much. It's, okay. there, there's quite a bit. More than and I actually, thought. we're having it. We're going to have it surveyed again uh, next week. And um, so we've got some time, but we are talking. We, the the lighthouse committee and the Sconset Trust, we're looking ahead as much as we can. Uh, and but we are good for a few decades anyway. Oh, good, good. Well, that area on the outside is open to the public all the time. Yes. Or maybe not at night. But um, how often do people get to go into the lighthouse? As far as uh, visitors there, uh, getting up into the lighthouse, the Sconset Trust, uh, we open it uh, twice a year, um, which doesn't seem like very much, and um, it's not really, but we're working on that. Uh, there are other times, uh, in the summertime, they'll have a, a pop-up opening. Um, we did that twice this past summer, and we open it to special groups like uh, the schools and um, uh, the caddies uh, at the caddy camp, they get a tour at the end of the summer. And um, and during COVID, we didn't do very much of that at all. But uh, I think we're looking forward to making it more accessible. Um, and one of the one of the setbacks on that is staffing, because you really need mm -hmm. a number of people. Uh, it's a safety issue. and Liability, the insurance company hates it when that door mm -hmm. opens. It's hard to insure a lighthouse. I'll bet so, it is. You know, you can, um, and there are all kinds of tripping hazards in there and everything. So we're just, they're just, at this point, we're just very cautious about opening it um, a lot. But there, that doesn't stop people from coming up, and nor, nor should it. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of people every day. It's mm -hmm. really quite amazing. What are your day-to-day -day responsibilities as the, as the keeper? Uh, my day-to-day -day is to make sure that it's on. And I can do that from my kitchen window. <laughs> <laughs> it's on 24 hours. Um, and, um, you know, I just check the grounds. I check for uh, breaks in the fence and things with the property itself. And we have people who will take care of things like that. If they, or if I can't fix it, we can find somebody. Um, but also, uh, I, uh, we maintain some exhibits in there. I'm always working on some kind of a project to make huh. the visitor's experience more interesting. Uh, two years ago, the Coast Guard removed the old 1,000-watt. Uh, it was an aerial beacon that it or something like it had been up there for 75 years, and the motor burned out. And um, so for about a week there, Sankety wasn't, it was on, but it wasn't spinning. And the Coast Guard really got tired of coming over to fix that old, that old thing. And so they replaced it with a, uh, with a rotating 100-watt incandescent bulb thing. 100 watt? 100 watt. And what's amazing is it still functions as a lighthouse, even with a 100-watt lamp in it. it. It looks like a car headlight that rotates. And um, it's the same one that's at Great Point. And it's a standard for the Coast Guard, that particular beacon. 
but they're about to install a, a new one, a new improved beacon there to help approach what to replicate the earlier beacon, which was, as I said, a thousand watts. Mm -hmm. And that's supposed to happen sometime soon. Well, when I first came here, and that was over 60 years ago, I was told that if you were approaching North America from, or on the same latitude um, as, say, England or France, mm -hmm. the first light you would see in the United States was Sankety Head. Was that true? Is it still true? Well, Will it be true again when they, <laughs> when they do the work next year? Um, I, I think that was true. Uh, you know, it, it really, some, there's some lore out there. You've seen it written, who knows, in the retelling, how many more miles they add to it, but as many as 26 or 28 miles uh -huh. off. And probably not the first beacon. There are lots of them in Maine. Um, but because Provincetown or yeah, uh, Chatham. Nova Scotia, maybe. Yeah, and Chatham, Chatham's Chatham, really. Yep. And actually, you can see Chatham Light from the top of Sankety Light. It's nice. Really? Yeah. But um, but uh, in the coming years, no, because when they moved the lighthouse, you lost about 12, 16 feet of elevation. Because mm -hmm. the, the location they put it at was that much lower than where yeah. it had been. But the reason they're, they're putting a new beacon is because um, uh, from a historical standpoint, and also the Coast Guard's getting the, getting the message that people are passionate about lighthouses, and uh, um, there is an industry that does nothing but lights, beacons for lighthouses, hmm. and lighted buoys and everything. And um, this light is specifically made to be a retrofit in historic lighthouses. Hmm. And it's it's an LED lamp. It's actually uh, in some configurations, it's as many as four LED rotating, and it uses less power. It has the ability to be um, hooked up as solar if needed. Uh, it's programmable. It's all high tech. It's got a. Uh, I think it's got kind of that harsh LED light to mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. but. Um, you can actually change the color temperature if you have the hmm. app on your phone. <laughs> it's right there. In the, it's right there. In the Whip book out book. your iPhone and change the lighthouse. And change the lighthouse. So at Christmas we can do uh, green and red. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> no, but um, and 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 that's been a long time coming. We've talked about talked with the Coast Guard about how disappointed we were in that one they installed two years ago, three years ago now. Um, but still, if you're if you're in Tom Nevers, and you're at the, at the where the focal point is of that light, it's good and bright, just the way it is. Now, if people want to get more information about that lighthouse, uh -huh. or if they want access, don't give out your home phone. But uh, is right. there? Do they go to the Sconset Trust website, or what would they do? Yeah, the uh, Sconset Trust website um, has a lot of information about about the lighthouse, and um, there's actually and of course, there's there's the book I mentioned that's that's out mm -hmm. there about moving the lighthouse, and uh, I think there might even be there might be a, a gallery there that's still up. We did a day by day web log when we moved the lighthouse, 
So I, yeah, I don't know if that's still there or not. Mm -hmm. And before we go, uh, you said at least one of your books is in the local bookstores. Are, are they all in there? How do people go about seeing your work? Uh, well, you can uh, see my, my book works at, uh, at Mitchell's Book Corner and also Book Works. And um, I don't have a web page or anything, but I am working on a going through some of my old work from the last 35 years. And I'm trying to, without, I don't want to jinx this by announcing it. So I'm not announcing the fact that I'm working on a, a retrospective mm -hmm. from a historical aspect. And some of my, some of my father's photographs that I just found, they're 90 years old and uh, they're fascinating. Photographs he made. Photographs yeah. that he took yeah, here right. on Nantucket when he was in mm -hmm. his teens. Wow. Just found him. My God, that's fabulous. Yeah. He was good. Well, we can all look forward to seeing those. That's, that's remarkable. Yeah. All these years later. I know. Yeah. Amazing the film has lasted that long. Yeah. He yeah, never printed them. He never had them printed. But uh, really? found the negatives all rolled up. My so God. Rewashing them and trying to get them flat to fit in the scanner and some technical hurdles to get over first. But well, I'm delighted so you that'll found take them. me that'll take me another ten years. So <laughs> hopefully less than that. <laughs> hopefully less than that, yes. Great. Rob Benchley, thank you for coming on the show. This Charlie. has been fascinating. We could have talked for hours. I know. I Charlie. wanted to ask you about how Sconset has changed, but maybe another time. Okay. Yes, we'll try that. And um and one of the things you mentioned earlier about where do we move the lighthouse to next? I, uh, I've been proposing the, the, the parking lot at Sankety Head Golf Club. And that's- oh, But that's gone over really well. Yeah, that's, um, <laughs> it's the next highest hill to the west. Mayflower Hill. And um, that's right, Mayflower Hill. And it's got, uh, you know, Sankety's on their menus. It's on all their golf shirts. It's on all their cups and their trophies. Let's put it in the, in the parking lot. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. Okay. <laughs> All right. Making no promise. <laughs> Rob, thanks again. This is Thank fun. you, Charlie. A lot of fun. Thanks a lot. For Profiles on Nantucket Community Television, I'm Charlie Walters. Thank you for tuning in. Please tune in again.